Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and we'll be with you for the next hour. We appreciate your time. Hopefully you will learn a lot about how to have a plan toward saving for your retirement, financial independence, and the like. It's a volatile market out there, a lot of changing conditions. We saw that with a recent hike in the benchmark interest rate from the Federal Reserve. We'll talk you through all of it and have some conversations about retirement, about Social Security, about savings, about investing. And we never really know exactly where it'll lead, but we hope that you will enjoy it, educate, be educated by it, and benefit from it. So Josh's firm, Aptus Wealth Management, is located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040. If you'd like to take advantage of the free consultation that they offer, Aptus Wealth Management Online is located at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And Josh, we had a recent interest rate hike of 0.25%, quarter of a point. A lot of people were curious as to what the Fed would do. I don't know that it caught a lot of people by surprise. Maybe it just reinforced the Fed's determination to get inflation more under control than it is. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think it was a huge surprise. I think the only thing that would have been a surprise is if they raised it half a point. That probably would have shocked people. But I think the general consensus was was they're either going to not raise it at all or more than likely they're going to raise it by a quarter. And you know, I think they had a little bit of a tailwind, at least in their mind. Uh, you know, unemployment rates are still, uh, you know, relatively low. Mm-hmm. The economy still seems to be doing relatively well, you know, this year. Uh, although I would argue that we've had a lot of run-ups in the market and clawbacks uh, from the market. But in general, it doesn't necessarily look like or feel like a recession yet. So I think they felt like they had enough runway, enough green space to to raise interest rates one more time to try and curtail inflation. Yeah, and I don't know, uh, have we gotten any more clear direction on where we're headed in terms of our economy and in terms of whether a recession is likely, imminent, not imminent? Uh, I think economists are still, it seems to me they fluctuate from 40-60 to 60-40. Like at some point it's 40% think there will be, maybe 50%, then sometimes as high as 60, but then it goes back down. Um, The employment numbers still look good, uh, but... Nobody seems to really feel great about this economy right now. The the uh, president's approval numbers are not good, and that, I think, is directly tied to how people feel about the economy. I think not only that, every time we get a good piece of news where we say unemployment's great and you know the uh, earnings numbers look favorable, at the same time, we have conversations with people that we know or, or people who are running businesses that are saying, you know, well, this company laid off 800 people, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, they had positive earnings. So... <laughs> You know, what are we what are we supposed to do with that information? And I don't think that we know, quite frankly, whether or not the economy is uh, going one direction or another. And, and you know, I've, I've said many times and I'll say it again, that economists, although a great resource, they're only wrong less than one group of people. And that's probably weathermen. Hmm. Um, you know, they're just trying to garner an idea of what comes next. But I think one universal truth remains, no matter who I talk to. No matter what investment person I talk to or, or just, you know, anybody walking down the street, they certainly have a feeling that we're on wooden legs, that this could go either direction. And we're not getting a lot of great information. You know, out of Washington, it's we really need to, 
you know, buckle down and change some things. Inflation's out of control. The Fed's going to need to raise interest rates, which is exactly why we're proposing this new $17 trillion spending bill. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it's kind of counterintuitive or at least opposing forces. And that's my fear is that on one hand, we'll bring, we'll curtail inflation. And on the other hand, well, you know, Washington will say, hold my beer and just start spending more money. Yeah, and we have uh, this week a debt ceiling conversation. Uh, President Biden would love the debt ceiling to be raised without any spending cuts. The Republicans are insisting on spending cuts. I don't know if they'll come to some kind of an agreement this week, but eventually they'll come to an agreement. It always seems like they do. And I don't know if that is behind us. Do you feel like we'll get any more clarity? Will that calm down investors? Will that calm down the markets? Is that an important benchmark for the markets and things that investors look at? Is that an important benchmark for them to keep their eye on? I can't speak for the market as a whole, but I can speak for there are some opportunities that will come out of a raising of a debt ceiling that will come out of if this spending bill gets passed. Um, Namely, if you think about if you're holding bonds that are have a pretty significantly high interest rate and we go, well, you know, should we have these bonds mature over the next three or six months? Well, if you had a bond that matures in a year and simultaneously interest rates on bonds have to go lower because of XYZ reason, that mm-hmm. would be favorable to you. So, you know, you know, without nerding out too much, I think there's going to be some opportunities that come out of regardless of what they decide to do. And that's regardless of whether or not it's good or bad for the economy. You know, it, we've talked offline and online many, many times. I mean, I, I, I really yearn for the day where the federal government can make difficult decisions where they can balance a budget, you know, Mm -hmm. like they expect all of us to do in our own households. Um, But they just don't seem to be able to come to a consensus. And that's not good for us in the long run. So if you're one of the pundits that believes that maybe the U.S. dollar will end as the world currency and I'm not going down the rabbit hole of we all need to be preppers and, you know, we're going to be carrying gold shekels in our velvet purse on our our waist. But I think, you know, we're going to have to make some hard decisions in the way of entitlement spending and a whole bunch of other spending at some point. Yeah, and to that point, uh, you have made the point before that when we talk about Social Security, and we're going to talk about it today, uh, that you've said before you don't think it'll go away, and it's not because there might not be a better way to do it or anything, but mainly you just you have said uh, you doubt that there's any politician of any party who's willing to be the one that steps in and says the program's insolvent, we can't sustain it beyond a certain date, even if we give you a 10-year warning or a 15-year warning. You doubt the, the basically the fortitude of legislators to do the unpopular thing. And I think what I worry about when I contemplate that is, will the unwillingness to do the unpopular thing lead us to a point where our manufacturing, our superiority in whatever we have superiority in, and I think we kind of set the table for the whole world's economy, that something will be so bad, will become so bad that we'll have some kind of catastrophic situation. I mean, I just remember my I'm a child of parents who lived through the Great Depression and they were they talked about the Great Depression a lot. It made a really huge impact on their lives. And, you know, I think that's when you hear that as a kid, you think, boy, I hope I never have to live through that. And I'm not saying we're headed for that. I, not, not at all am I saying that. I'm saying that's what I fear. And then you've always talked before, too, about fear is one of the worst things that you can become prisoner to when you're trying to make these purposeful, measured, planned decisions that are so necessary to achieving financial independence later on in life. For sure. But I don't think that we can ignore some of those lessons that we learned by having grandparents that 
or parents that lived through the Great Depression. And, you know, my generation is probably the last generation that has a direct link to knowing mm-hmm. somebody that lived yes. through that. I, I distinctly remember when I went to college, um, a good friend of mine's uh, grandmother had a extra bed frame in the attic. She goes, hey, if you want to take that to college, you can take the bed frame. So we go down there, and as I'm walking up into the attic, I'm looking around, and there are shelves after shelves filled with canned goods and toilet paper mm. because she lived through the Great Depression. Yeah. Now, if you're 20 years old right now, you can't even fathom something right. like that. Right. But it actually existed. And again, I'm not suggesting that we're going back to that, but there is a fear, I think, in everyone who's between the ages of 40 and 70, that, okay, we know that we need these entitlement programs. You had shared a couple of statistics with me before we even, you know, offline before we got on air, that it's something to the effect of about half of Americans who are over the age of 65 are exclusively reliant upon Social Security as their income source. Yeah. I think, and maybe you can share those stats with us again, but it was... Something to the effect of, you know, 40-some percent have no savings beyond Social Security Yeah, that's the number. Two-fifths of baby boomers, uh, and this is a story uh, that I grabbed off the hill. Uh, Two-fifths of baby boomers, that's 40 percent, are nearing retirement with no retirement savings. They are counting on Social Security. Uh, This is according to census data from 2020. Savings rates rise with age, so the younger you are, you know, the more you've maybe planned for this. Uh, In the 55 to 64-year-old baby boomer age group, 58% of Americans own retirement accounts, but that means 42% don't. Then Social Security, likely the check per month is going to be around 1800 They estimate the expenses are going to be at $4,000 uh, to shorten the story a little bit, to you know ball the scenario up a bit. A lot of people are going to be arriving at retirement, counting on Social Security to fund them, and they're going to need about twice as much or maybe even more than twice as much as what their Social Security will provide. Yeah. Now, what are they reliant upon? Uh, those retirees are reliant upon not only Social Security, but they're going to be reliant upon Medicare. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be reliant upon Medicaid. Uh, and not only will they be relying upon Medicare and Medicaid for the health insurance, but more than likely, the vast majority of people will be relying upon both of those things in the event that they need long-term care. So if you fast forward and you look at the budget of the United States and you say, what are the challenges, really? It's that we are deficit spending and these entitlement programs are becoming a larger and larger percentage of our overall budget because nobody is willing to make any changes. Now, add into that our debt position. If you think about it, if you had a credit card and you just kept on putting money on the credit card, your minimum monthly payment goes up every month. Well, now let's assume that interest rates on your credit card are going up every single month because yeah. the Fed keeps raising them. So now you have three elements, essentially. You have health care, retirement benefits, and your debt position that are quickly becoming the vast majority of the overall budget. What gets cut? Is it defense spending? Well, that doesn't seem like maybe the best idea no, in the current circumstances. No, so what gets cut? And, and what, I, what I really hope for, uh, and we're kind of off the topic a little bit of, of finance, but what I hope for is that we finally get a government Uh, people in government that are willing to make these difficult decisions to make everyone's lives easier and better down the line. Now, I do not believe that Social Security is going to go away. And I think for good reason, for what we just said, if we took it away, imagine the chaos that we would have if half of all seniors are completely destitute. Yeah. So it just simply cannot go away. We will have to jeopardize and sacrifice other limbs on this animal before we sacrifice that one uh, because the animal will just flat out die. That is the heart 
of yeah. that animal. No right. doubt about it. Uh, Josh Pick and Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Wealth Management, uh, the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Uh, in order to avoid these kinds of scenarios, the best thing you can do is get a fiduciary, someone who is legally required to look out for your best interest when it comes to saving and growing your retirement nest egg. That is Josh and the Aptus team. I'm a client. Uh, we gain great peace of mind by putting our trust in them to manage our finances. And you can get a hold of them for a free consultation. 614-917-1040 is their telephone number. Set up your free consultation. There's no obligation with it. 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Their physical location is Lewis Center. They're just off Route 750, a bit north of 23 and 270. And if you're out of the area, that's not a problem. They do service a lot of their clients remotely. So that's not a problem at all. All right, so let's delve a little bit into Social Security. I'm sure we have some people, uh, boomers, who are listening and they're wondering about Social Security and maybe have questions about it. Uh, when are people eligible? And is there any uh, any nuance to determining their eligibility? Yeah, you know, the questions that I get most common is, you know, how do I know that I'm even eligible for it? And if I am eligible for it, how in the world do they calculate my eligibility? So essentially all you need is 40 calendar quarters to be eligible for Social Security. So if you're playing the home game, that's 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. You need approximately 10 years paid into Social Security. And the way that they calculate it is very important to you if you only have a very limited amount of years because they actually average your highest 35 years worth of earning income. Now, why is that important? Well, let's say that I, I worked for 10 years and then I decide not to work for the next three and then I go file. That could have a negative impact on my Social Security because the last couple of years have been zeros. On the flip side of that, if I've worked for the last 10 years and I've maxed out Social Security, so I made $200,000 a year for the last 10 years, Social Security calculates it as if, well, that's what we assume you were going to make for the next X amount of years. So it's actually almost back-weighted. The point being that if you're planning on um, you know, figuring out how to calculate Social Security, it's a hell of a thing to calculate yeah, because man. it's also back to, you know, it's backed into the number. In other words, if in 1970 you made $15,000 a year, that might be the same as making $50,000 a year today. Right. So they do a, a, a kind of a cost benefit analysis or a cost of living adjustment. Now that does not take into account that even if you're not entitled to social security, you might be entitled to social security, which is kind of a funny thing to say. If you're married, you are always entitled to the greater of the benefit that you earned on your own or 50% of your spouses, whichever is greater. So okay. let's use an example. Let's say that um, you worked outside of the home and uh, your wife did not. And you retire and your benefit's $2,000 a month. Between the two of you, you'll get three. Assuming you're both the same age and you file it for retirement. But there's all these little nuances, Bruce. Like, for example... Okay, well, you're going to wait until you're 70 because you know that you'll get a larger benefit the longer you wait. Sure. So I'm going to wait until I'm 70. Well, if you don't wait, if you wait until you're 70, then your spouse can't collect hers. But her benefit won't grow past half of whatever your benefit was at age 67, which is your full retirement age. So there's three years that she could have been collecting that she can't because you didn't file. Because she can't file until you file. Right. All right. Well, that could be outweighed by the fact <laughs> that if you die before she does... Her survivor benefit is 100% of whatever yours was at the time. So you waiting until 70 actually benefited her. So there's all wow. these kind of, thank goodness for computers, by yeah. the way, because without computers, there's no way you could calculate all these variables. But thankfully, with you know significant advances in, in financial planning software, we can type in what is the optimal method for this person based upon their assets, tax liability, everything, 
all the all the pieces and parts. Does everybody pay in at the same rate? Like you pay the same percentage tax on your earnings, whether you make a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand? Um, yes and no. So there's two pieces to what you pay in and what we typically call wage taxes. There's Social Security, which is about don't quote me on this, but I think it's about six point two percent, and then your employer pays six point two percent. So yes, if you are self-employed, you're paying twelve point four because you are the employer and the employee. Ooh. That pays for Social Security, but then you also have a Medicare and Medicaid premium, and that premium is about two percent. I think it's one point nine. And if you are if you make over a certain dollar amount, then you get to pay in an extra percent or two or whatever that number is. So theoretically, if you're self-employed, you're paying in 15, 16% into Social Security. If you're, in the, if you're one of the fortunate few that's in the top income tax bracket, on top of that, you're paying in 39 point whatever percent. And then you're also paying state income taxes, your local taxes, your sales taxes, mm-hmm. your city income taxes, your real estate taxes, that very quickly you can see how somebody can pay well more than 50 cents of the dollar. Did you say a second ago that uh, you do not pay Social Security on earnings above $200,000 a year? It's actually less than that. You do mm-hmm. not pay taxes on Social You do not pay into Social Security on an amount over, it's about 150 now. Now, the Biden administration, when they ran, and we'll see if this gets passed in whatever tax legislation they come through, they said that they were going to create what they called a donut hole. So you would pay rather than up to the 140, 150 mark that it is today, you would pay all the way up until 250. Then you wouldn't pay at all from 250 to 400. And then anything over 400, you start paying again, which could really be a very expensive proposition for certain people. Yeah, and I I presume the uh, design behind that is to fund the system more so that it becomes uh, longer of of a longer duration in terms of its solvency. Um, As someone who would be uh, having to explain that to clients, uh, give me the, I I know nobody likes to pay more in taxes, so that's not going to be popular with clients. Uh, Are there any other objections to that other than, look, don't penalize me for being successful? Yeah, well, I think a couple of objections that I hear most commonly, and that is compared to a regular pension, regular pensions, if I worked for uh, OPERS or, you know, the state or Mm -hmm. the federal government, my pension is based upon a percentage of what I made. Social Security does not work that way after a certain point. So even let's say we removed that cap. We removed the cap and said, well, if you make $19 million, you pay all the way up through. It doesn't mean that you get a percentage that's commensurate with that. There will be a cap and the cap will be the same for you that paid in based upon your $19 million salary. That's somebody that made 150 grand. is. So I'm paying a vast disproportionate to a multi, I mean, a many, many multiple of magnitude, magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. So that is the, the main argument. My argument is this. We hear about how we're going to fix things all the time. Sure. Who gets caught in that net is not the person who is represented to us. Who is represented to us is these people, these hedge fund managers that are making $50 million need to be paying more in, mean to pay their fair share. We Mm -hmm. hear that all the time. It will impact them not at all. Not one nickel. Well, we need to go after these business owners like uh, Jeff Bezos, right? Mm -hmm. We We need him to pay more. It will not affect him at all. And let me explain to you why. 
it only impacts W-2 wages. So if I just do one thing, I set up my company taxed as an S-corp. Now, I'm not giving anybody tax advice yeah. right now, okay? But if I set up my company as an S-corp and I set my salary at $50,000 and then my distributions are $9 million, I only pay Social Security on the $50,000 salary. You don't think somebody who's making $19 million is smart enough to figure out how to do that? Who are we really catching? We're catching the doctor that works for OS, you know, that works for yeah. Riverside that makes $400,000 a year W2. He's going to get smacked. We're going to we're going to uh tax the you know, the attorney who these are all people sure. who paid a disproportionate amount in college loans to be able to get this income and they're being penalized for it. And that can be a, a very, you know, I'm sure people are listening and going, well, that's, you know, that's just, it's the way it is. Sure, a nice problem to have if you make $400,000 a year. I can see where some people would say that. But I also think that uh, what you just said to me is really enlightening in that we are always, I mean, I'm just, I have this visceral objection to being told something that now that I've listened to you, I know is not true, which is, of course, if someone is a Jeff Bezos or somebody who's very, very wealthy, they are not going to be um, unclear about how to avoid paying these kinds of taxes that whatever the politician is, whatever party they're with, they position as they make X, they don't pay any taxes, or we've heard it before about corporations. And the fact of the matter is there's a reason why. There's ways to change the law. If you want to change the law, change it. But it doesn't sound to me like the scenario that they're posing is truly a fix. It sounds like an emotional scenario that is being presented in order to almost exacerbate my ignorance on how the system works. They're feeding me a scenario that is easily avoidable if you know what you're doing. And somebody who makes the kind of money that a Jeff Bezos makes uh, certainly knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the fitness magazine that tells you if you just buy enough of these supplements, you're yeah. going to look like the people in the cover. Right. And the reality is, most of those people in the cover, and I'm probably going to piss off people by saying this, aren't just taking supplements. No. Right. No, they're taking other they're, stuff. They're taking all sorts of stuff uh, <laughs> that that is guaranteed to work and very illegal and frowned upon by many. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, similarly, we're going to look at well, we need to punish these people or not punish them. They need to pay their fair share. We never mm -hmm. use the word punishment. Right. We need them to pay their fair share. Everybody agrees, right? I mean, what does somebody need with $200 billion? So there's, what, you're going to charge them an extra $2 million? Come on. It's going to help everybody. But the reality of the matter is we're not going to tax him. Who we're going to tax is you and me yeah. more, right? So that's the problem that I have with a lot of the stuff. Now, let's skip past the problem and say now that we know that information, what do we do with it? Well, the simple fact of financial planning is knowing the game and legally playing the game, tilting the odds in your favor. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about social security, for example, when you take your social security can dramatically impact how much you receive out of social security in your lifetime. It can dramatically impact how you're taxed on social security and how it affects your other assets and how they're taxed. It can have a dramatic impact on everything. Now let's extrapolate social security and taxes. And then let's just assume that there's nuances like this across the entire board of your finances. How much could you move the needle if you just improved your situation by 10% in everything that you do? It's significant. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that, to me, underscores why 
Uh, Sherry and I have Josh on the case with our retirement and why I highly recommend him to friends of mine. And that's why I enjoy doing the show with him because I get a lot smarter when I listen to him. And you can get a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. Set it up on the phone. Call their number, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online. Their web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh joins me every Monday at 1230 for Money Monday. We react to the events of the week, and we try to have conversations that give you a nugget that will hopefully lead you here to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, which airs at 7 o'clock Friday and will replay at noon tomorrow. We would appreciate it if you'd recommend it to your friends. And we're going to talk more about retirement savings and how to position yourself for success next on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. We're happy to have you, and we hope to educate you in matters pertaining to arriving at financial independence later on in life. Most of us have worked really hard. Hopefully, you've saved money. Hopefully, you have a plan. If not, today's the day to get started, and Aptus can help you with that. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, and they offer you a free consultation so you get to know them and they get to know you and see if you're a fit. 614-917-1040 is their number. You can set up your appointment online at their web address, which is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And yes, they can help you and help work you toward financial independence in retirement. Even if you're outside the area, they do service their clients remotely when that is necessary. And so we've talked about this uh, conversation that you have with people when you first get started. And you said that you had a client who recently asked you a very interesting question. Yeah, you know, this isn't that interesting, but it's shocking how infrequently I get the question. It seems like an obvious question, but somebody asked me today, what do you believe your firm brings to us? It was a couple, young couple, Mm -hmm. actually, brings to us a value. You know, what do you do that's, what's the secret sauce? Separates you from others. Separates us. And, you know, I mean, we could talk about a myriad of things, but I think that it all comes down to three things predominantly. And I think number one, it seems obvious, but I want to talk about it a little bit, and that is financial planning. And it seems obvious because, of course, we know we need to come up with a retirement plan. And sure. We need to come up with an estate plan, and we need to make sure that, God forbid, something happens to one of us, our kids are taken care of, and all the things that you're probably aware of with financial planning. But I think it goes deeper than that. Um, a financial plan that you believe in is the only way, in my opinion, that you will be able to be steadfast during difficult times. Let me give an example. There are plenty of people walking around right now who are saving more than enough money to prepare themselves for retirement. They're putting it into perhaps great vehicles for retirement, and they don't really know why they did that. It just sounded like a really good idea, and they're saving and saving and saving, which is a great habit to get into. But then at the first notion of a long pullback in the market, they don't know why they put the money into it to begin with. They don't know why the market's down. They will be the first people that pulls out the money at the worst possible time. There's been tons of research done on the value of a financial advisor. Think of part of our job is a counselor. Now, you don't have to go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. You can just Google what your problem is online, and you can just figure it all out, and you're fine, right? That's not the way that it works. Not always. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any therapists walking around. Now, I'm not saying that we're therapists, but at the same time, you can Google all day long, and I know that later in the show we're going to talk about maybe some top 10 lists of things you can do right and you can do wrong, but if I, we pulled up one of these lists that we're going to talk about in a little bit, 
And right at the end of that list, it's the 10 reasons why, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of it, it's the 65 reasons why to do something else. The 10 reasons why retirement calculators are the best. And then right after that, the six reasons why you should be, you should be aware of financial planning calculators. <laughs> That's all in the same article. So if you're faced with that is your research element, I'm going to go online and figure out all my problems. You're going to be left with more questions than answers. And when we're left with more questions and answers, and then we have fear and greed diving into the equation, we typically make really poor decisions. So I think the financial planning process is worth its weight in gold. Uh, but you know, let's go beyond that. And, and I'm going to tailor this uh, for both somebody who's in their 30s and somebody who's maybe in their 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, if you're in your 30s, what value are we really bringing? Um, I think, you know, as easy it is to say that I'm just going to put the horse blinders on and I'm going to ignore volatility and I'm going to get from here to there. That's absolutely true if you're in your 30s, by the way. You don't have to worry about market volatility. You're trying to be as growth-oriented as possible. Now let's fast forward to somebody who's in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they have a million bucks, and a 20% market swing is $200,000. And that's what we had last year, isn't it? Yeah, Didn't the market was down 20%. Yeah. Matter of fact, the bond market was down 16%. So Ooh. if you were 60-40, you were still down $160,000-plus in a million-dollar portfolio last wow. year. Um, we were not down near as much, little shameless plug. But nevertheless, um, that experience can be tumultuous for two reasons. Number one, and I'm sure you can think of somebody who's done this before. They said, I was going to retire next year, but the market's down so much I don't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, That's somebody that didn't have a plan. That's somebody who's just investing via happenstance for the most part. Now, they might have beautiful colors in their graph, but they don't really necessarily know the purpose of the colors. Um, and then, you know, two, uh, you know, you don't really know why things are happening, right? So it's just a tumultuous place to be when you're in your 70s. You lost $200,000. You don't know if you're going to be able to retire. It hurt really bad because you lost 200000 bucks. So what do we bring to the table? Risk mitigation, which I think sounds like a fancy thing to say. Really what it is is leveling out the roller coaster ride. Am I running around saying we're going to beat the market every single year? No, depending upon how you're invested with us and depending upon what you like or dislike or the season of life that you're in, when the market does really well, you might not do nearly as well as the market does. But the trick is when the market doesn't do well, are you doing as poorly as the market does? And the key to investing is what is my upside capture? When the market goes up, what percentage of it do I gain? And when the market goes down, what percentage of it do I feel? Mm Mm-hmm. And as long as, as those numbers aren't even, and when it goes down, I only gain 40, I only lose 40% of what it goes down. When it goes up, I get 60. You're a winner. And that might be a roller coaster ride you're a heck of a lot more comfortable with. And I say that because I'm going to Disney in a few weeks, and I don't know that I can tolerate some of the roller coasters anymore, <laughs> right? But, and, and when you get closer and closer to retirement, I don't know that you can tolerate them either. And then the last one that I talked to them was, are you confident in maximizing the income that you receive? as it relates to taxes, meaning we hear about all these strategies. Well, if I take my social security at its perfect time with an outside piece of money, then I'm not going to pay as much taxes. Or if I do Roth conversions, then it's a good thing for me because I'm paying taxes at a lower rate versus at a higher rate. And then my beneficiaries won't have to pay any taxes. And maybe that'll even help me in the event of long-term care. I don't know. Do you have a method to coordinate all of those things as they apply to you? And that's a very difficult thing to do without doing this day in and day out with a lot of experience. You can, you can make an impact, but do you really know what you're doing? Those are the three predominant things that I think we bring to the table beyond just the you know, run-of-the-mill questions that you're going to have, like, should I lease or should I buy? It depends on the car. will help you. Right. Well, you know, as you went through that answer, I just 
caused me to flash back to when Sherry and I came in for our conversation with you and our consultation with you and why we decided to go with Aptis as the as the firm that manages our financial resources because we were in a situation where we were the guy with the colors on the graph that looked good, but we didn't know why. And I feared the day when the colors would all turn red or whatever, you know, really <laughs> the alarms would go off and we wouldn't know how to react. And I'm a person that like, I like to know why I almost have to know why, but if I don't know why I want to make sure that I have somebody who does and somebody who's in control of that process. And we felt totally comfortable with you. And, you know, I would just encourage people to come in, get to know you and, Certainly, whoever you are, you need a fiduciary on your case. You need somebody who is legally obligated to do what's best for you. That's what they are at Aptus. You can set up your free consultation. Get to know Aptus, 614-917-1040 or aptuswealth.com. I was at the age where I couldn't afford the big mistake. There might be people who are listening to us right now who are, you know, 50-ish years old. Uh, I assume there are some big mistakes that people can make when they're in their 50s. I would think the number one mistake would be you haven't saved at all. Uh, but if that is where you are, like, do people ever ask you like, okay, uh, when should I get really serious about saving for retirement? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is always the same now. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I I mean, I say that in jest a little bit, but not really, uh, because the only thing I can guarantee about this whole process is the sooner that you get serious about it, the less painful it will be. And what I mean by painful is the less you will have to save on a monthly basis. That's a great point. And it's it's exorbitant. I mean, just think of every 10 years that you wait, you're going to have to save at least, at least twice as much. At least. Now, that's assuming a 7% rate of return. Mm-hmm. Now, let's assume that you're in your 30s and we're aggressively investing and maybe you're expecting a 9 or 10% rate of return. Now, we're talking about instead of 100, it's... $300 a month that you have to put away. And that number just gets worse and worse. So start immediately. Is there a fallacy to people thinking that they can just keep on working? Or is that something that, uh, you know, you don't have any alternative if you haven't had a plan? Yeah, this is one that I have to address, believe it or not, quite a bit. Uh, maybe not necessarily in my office, but when I'm talking with people yeah. outside of my office. Where they go, I'll tell you what my plan is. There's, they don't put luggage racks on Hertz's anymore. So there's no point in saving. I'm going to spend every nickel I make, and I'll just work until the day I die. It's a plan. Yeah, not a great plan I don't know me. that it's a great plan. It's like saying, you know, I don't know how to swim. Just throw me in the water. I'll figure it out. I don't want to die. Um, here's the unfortunate reality about that situation. Most people do not retire when they think they're going to retire. Hmm. Over half of people do not retire when they think they're going to retire. And you go, well, why is that? Did they get laid off? Some of them. Did they get fired? Some of them. Some of them had a health issue that made them retire sooner than they wanted to. Some of them had a family member who had a health issue that made them retire sooner than they had to. Some of them simply couldn't do their job anymore because of a health condition. The list of reasons why you retire sooner than you think is very, very long. So you might not have the choice. So do you really want to bank your 60s, 70s, and 80s on I'm just going to work, and God forbid that one plan that I have, no contingent plans, no tertiary plans, that one plan doesn't work, and I guess I'm just going to live on, what did you say the average Social Security is, 1800 bucks a month? $1,800 a month, yeah. Yeah, well, 
have fun. Yeah, I'm thinking through as you pose those scenarios, and it is not practical to think that you can keep working because, A, I mean, usually your salary goes up as you get older, and they're going to downsize you, and they're going to be replaced by somebody who's cheaper. Your health is an obvious wild card. The the future of your job, it may not exist. I mean, with AI, there's a whole bunch of different uh, technologies that are being developed now that may render a lot of people's jobs that they've had for 15, 20 years. If people are even in a job that long, they may render those obsolete. So I wonder, as you chat with people about retirement and you have these consultations with clients, uh, do you find generally that uh, a mistake people make is, is it easy to say whether people, are, are people more prone to take too much risk or not enough risk in their retirement plans? I would say that people are very prone to take arbitrary risk. They don't even know. Um, and they'll fall into a category that almost is based upon happenstance. Well, I'm aggressive. Well, what does that mean? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I like taking risks. You like taking risks with your retirement. <laughs> Nobody likes taking risks with the, you know, the, solidi- the solidity of their retirement. Um, what they're saying is I'm not risk averse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes the most sense to take that level of risk because it diminishes predictable returns. Or the flip side of that is people will get paralyzed by the idea of risk and then just put all their money in safe stuff. Well, what's your risk there? Inflation's missing, gonna, yeah, inflation's, missing, yeah, missing returns. Yeah, inflation's going to chew you up. Yeah. So I would argue that the greatest risk to retirees is not their money management approach; it's longevity and inflation. And you need to have a plan that conquers longevity and inflation. There's a, there is a. If you're married right now and you're over the age of sixty-five, there is a greater than fifty percent chance that one of you is going to live past ninety. Now, wow. That's a lot of retirement savings you're going to need if you would retire at the conventional retirement age of 65 or even 67. You're talking about two decades plus for one of you. 25 years. Yeah. Right? And for some of those people, uh, you know, one of you is not going to live even close to that long. So one of you is going to be, unfortunately, sadly, mm-hmm. on their own. What is your re- What does your picture look like when you lose one of your Social Security payments? Maybe a pension. Have you planned for that? Because unfortunately, we don't all go like, you know, holding hands like they did in the notebook, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we're, we're left alone. So there's a lot of challenges to contend with. Now, all these challenges can be solved, and it doesn't have to be that complicated, but you just can't bury your head in the sand. You actually have to be proactive and get an education lesson. And fortunately, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Within a matter of a few hours, you can be educated to the level where you feel very comfortable in the decisions that you make. You just have to be willing to dedicate a few hours of listening, not even reading, just listening. Yeah, Josh Pick is uh, absolutely right on that. When Sherry and I went in for our conversation, I mean, the, it's it's just stuff where you go, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? And uh, that's what you gain from the consultation is just clarity, perspective. Uh, we gained a great deal of peace of mind from it. Set up your free consultation at Aptus today, 614-917-1040. You can also do it online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You know, I've, I'm guilty of when I used to think about retirement, I thought about there's a number out there I'd like to hit, and I had it in my head. If I can get to a million dollars, I'm good. It never occurred to me to, like, think about things like, you know, college debt that my kids might, you know, hand off to me or long-term care or uh, a property that you haven't quite paid off yet. Like, I just had this number out there in mind. And I wonder how many of your clients, when they come in, are, you know, maybe it's not it, it's not something that's hard to convince them of. It's just like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. 
Yeah, I would say everybody kind of has that number, and I don't fault anybody for having that number because that number is what we read in the media daily. The media headlines are always the same. $1 million, is it still enough? Yeah. The $10 million retirement, and how do you get there, right? When in reality, these numbers are all gibberish, and I'll, I'll tell you how gibberish they are. The $1 million retirement, is it enough? I don't know. Where's the money? Yeah, when are you going to retire, too? How long are you going to live? But but having a million dollars in a Roth IRA is not the same as having a million dollars in an IRA. It's not the same as having a million dollars in a savings account. So I don't know. Where is it? Um, these are all arbitrary statements that are designed to make us feel more comfortable, which I think is good. And you know, rest assured, if you have $100 million in the bank, you're probably going to be good any way you slice it. But the real number is take what you need, then forecast what that equates to needing in a pile, meaning... Okay, well, my Social Security is going to be $3,000 a month, which means I have a shortfall of maybe $2,000 a month because I want to live on $5,000 a month. Well, how much money do I need saved in which vehicles to generate $2,000 a month predictably? And then I have to take into account inflation and a bunch of other issues. But that's that you, you start with what you actually need cash flow-wise to live on. Then you add in all the variables, and then you forecast out to what that number is. And what I find is that most people that come into my office do not need three, four, five million bucks. Many of them don't need a million dollars. Many of them, I have plenty of clients that have five, $600,000 that are living what I would sure if we just cast a net out to the general population and said, what does this retirement look like? They'd mm -hmm. go, pretty good. Looks pretty good to me. I mean, they're golfing every day. They mm -hmm. got a nice house. They take vacations. It's great. It all depends on your situation. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. And Josh joins me every Monday at 1230 for Money Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always send us an email if you have questions about financial matters. Bruce at Salem Media, Bruce at SalemMedia.com. Uh, I wonder, are people uh, generally accurate in terms of, like, do they expect when they get to retirement, do they expect to live the same way they're living when they're working? Do they expect their, quote-unquote, quality of life to go down? Or do they anticipate that their quality of life will go up? And how does the how does the expectation match up with the reality? Uh, I think in general, people expect their quality of life to go up. Um, now, the reason for that is usually I don't have to go to work. So yes. it gets better right out of the gate. Sure. Right. But what we find, statistically speaking, is that people actually spend less money in retirement than they do when they're working. There's this concept that's, you know, it's been around for a number of years now called the retirement smile. And the concept of the retirement smiles in the first couple years of your retirement, if you think about one edge of the smile, right, your lips perk up on mm -hmm. one side, mm -hmm. uh, you spend more money. And why do you do that? Well, because you want to travel, because you want to do all the things potentially that you didn't get to do. You want to put the addition on the house, redo the roof so that you never have to worry about it again. Moral of the story here is you spend more money than you expect you're going to spend in the first few years of your retirement. Then we kind of settle into retirement and actually spend less. The smile dips. And then towards the end of our lives, we have increased health care costs. But if we add all of those up, believe it or not, and this is a shock for people, believe it or not, if you take out inflation, on average, if you look at the beginning of the smile and the end of the smile and then add up all the in-betweens and you average it out, people spend about 1% less per year for the remainder of their lives in aggregate. Now, it ends up being more every year because of inflation, but it's actually inflation adjusted. It's 1% per year less. Now, there's, we could come up with a whole host of reasons, but if we anecdotally think about the way that people will live retirement, 
well, in the beginning years, you still have a lot of vitality sure. and you want to go out and get, the, and then, you know, eventually, well, I'd love to go hike the Grand Canyon, <laughs> but, you know, my two knee replacements aren't really going to allow me to go hike the Grand Canyon. Or I'd really like to go do this, but, you know, my wife's got some health issues and I don't want to get that far away from her doctors. Sure. So uh, I think that people's expectations are they're going to be a lot better in retirement. And if you plan it correctly, meaning that you know what activities you, you're going to do, you know what's going to provide you purpose, it absolutely can be. I, I'm very fortunate that I have people walk into my office every day and they almost skip in. I mean, they're so happy. And then unfortunately, I've run into the other scenario, and that's people that said, I just don't want to work anymore. I have no idea what I'm going to do besides that. And they walk in just going, I don't know what this was supposed to crack mm-hmm. up to me. And it's almost like Eeyore, right? Mm-hmm. So there's everybody in between. you got to plan for not just money but for time. So I'm trying to think. We're about a year and a half into what has been, um, well, very difficult inflation. And I'm assuming it has uh, wreaked havoc with people's retirement savings. I just saw a number the other day that I was like, wow, that one hit me in the face. It is the average cost, the cost, the average cost of a new car is $48,000. The average monthly payment for a new car is like $800. And I was like, wow, if I was on the verge of retirement, I remember when my folks retired and about two years, three years into retirement, they bought a new car, but that was when you could buy a new car for you know 20 grand. You can't do that now. In the larger picture, what has inflation done to your client base in terms of their emotions and how to handle it? What kind of conversations are you having with them? And how dramatically has it affected their plan and whether they're going to be able to retire the way they anticipated? Yeah, it certainly had an impact. And I think everybody felt that, whether it's you know at the grocery store or at the gas pump. There's no question about that. But I think the biggest impact that I'm hearing is when at least the clients that I encounter, uh, they very much have an ideology that at some point they might want to downgrade their house or they might might want to, and by downgrade, I mean downsize, right? We might want to downsize our house. We might want to move to Florida, get rid of our house. Maybe we want to have to, those plans have gotten halted dramatically. Um, I'm having many more conversations about, you know, our house isn't ideal, but compared to what we can do and the interest rate that we can get, We'll just fix our place up and stay put. So that's been a dramatic difference. Um, people are much more inclined to pay cash now for things if they can, because what used to be a payment-driven society, because payments were based upon such low interest rates, that's changed things. Uh, where I do feel that people are really getting hit with the pinch is the people who can't do that. So people who maybe that other category we were talking about earlier that didn't prepare, that don't have the cash available, that are living on a paycheck-to-paycheck basis – it's had a dramatic, dramatic impact on them because they just simply can't afford to pay cash. Yeah. So now that car that was $500 a month is now eight or $900 a month, and that drastically changes their life. Now, how do you prepare for that? Or what do you do? Well, of course, there's things you can do. Um, but the thing you can't do, unfortunately, and why I constantly tell people about the importance of retirement planning is no matter who comes into my office, I'm going to try and help them the best I can. But what I can't do is take a $3,000 income from Social Security and turn it into a $10,000 income from Social Security. That's just not possible. Right. So I highly encourage everybody to start planning as early as possible so that we're not trying to say, how do I turn $3,000 into $4,000? That's my only option. Well, you don't. You just live a lot worse. So the more, the quicker, the earlier you do the planning, the more options you have when you retire. Yeah, and I would just say, look, th- there are some issues in life that we all know are issues, and if you ignore it because it's unpleasant to address or you know, you're know you waiting for it to somehow get better, 
Uh, there are just some things that don't. And if you don't have a retirement plan, uh, if you are not thinking about that and devoting, you know, resources to it, it is going to be one of those things that, as Josh says, it's a becomes a problem that's impossible to fix. Reminds me of Dave Ramsey got a call the other day. I got a million dollars in debt. Help me fix it. Well, the time to call was like way before that. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I've sat through the free consultation. I became a client of Aptus. Uh, we enjoy it. Josh and I enjoy our conversations here on this show that airs Friday night at seven and Saturday at noon. Uh, I just can't tell you enough how much uh, more peace of mind I have having somebody on the case that not only is doing a great job for us, but I also know can explain it to me in terms that I can understand. You can set up your consultation, get to know Josh and the team by calling 614-917-1040. You can also set your consultation up by making your appointment online. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Hit us up for Money Monday on The Answer at 12.30 p.m. And if you're wondering where their location is, they're physically located in Lewis Center just off Route 750. That's not far from 23 and 270. And yes, if you're out of the area, you like what you hear, you can become a client and be serviced remotely. Josh, great to see you as always. Look forward to having you in next week and look forward to talking to you again on Money Monday. You as well, Bruce. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, folks. And we'll see you again next week.